It is, uh, it's a huge just privilege to have you guys in our room. We are not the easiest place to get to in the whole world, and that you would make the effort to get here really means a lot to us. Uh, we promise we'll rally to make the effort to get to you when you host something, um, but it just, it's just something about having people in, in your space, in your room, and um, it just means a lot, you know, and so thank you for that. Um, and yeah, I am limping. I've tore my meniscus and waiting on them to figure out surgery and MRI and all the rest, so um, yeah, that's, I am tired and getting old, but I also hurt myself legitimately. So, um, hey, I want to just give us a couple of tips before we dive into this. Um, you know, there's just a lot of new faces in the room. If you're here, this is the first time you've ever been at any kind of advanced event. Will you raise your hand? Yeah, we're officially outnumbered. So uh, you guys can sway this any way you want. Here's, here's what I'd love us to do is to, um, I, w- I want you to know that when we get in rooms like this, like kind of classic American culture is to just fall into conference mode. And you've probably already done that. Okay, I sang some songs. I sit down, I take some notes. Um, and, and you just kind of come and you collect all your information. You get a couple of good points, write down a couple of inspiring scriptures or something, and then you go back home, right? And, and, and that's just really not what this is about. Um, in fact, you can, you know, you can, that was really good worship, but you can listen to better worship than that. You know, you just download it, no problem. Um, this teaching's not gonna be that great. You can guarantee you get something better than this online, right? What, what, why are you in the room? It's not just so that we can absorb content, um, is so that we can actually get to know each other and do life together and do ministry together. And we are so adamant at advance about trying to get um, not just the lead pastor or the lead pastor and his wife, if you're really lucky, or a couple of the pastors. Like we try to get as many people in the room because we want our churches to be friends with other churches. And um, sadly, a lot of the stuff that we see, churches that get shipwrecked and just get just in bad ways, a lot of it, you know, the pastor had some friends, but nobody else did. The pastor went to stuff and got developed, but nobody else did. And um, man, I just reckon a lot of stuff could be, could be mitigated. Um, a lot of ways the enemy gets it right could be mitigated if we would fight for real friendships and relationships. I want everybody on our staff and team and all of our, I want our church to be friends with other churches. I, I want them, you know, I want them encouraging and challenging, provoking, and I want all that happening. I, 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 and, and we want that to come out of this time together. And so, uh, man, if all you do is leave after a couple of days and you've heard some stuff and I feel like you, you'll miss a big piece of what this is supposed to be. And so dig in tonight. We're gonna have a, a good time just to hang out and be friends together. And, um, and don't do that kind of like gumbo thing that Corey was talking about. You know, all the carrots hang out with the carrots, you know, or whatever. Actually, like, get in there and get to know people. That's, we've done this on purpose. We want to, to come out of this on the other side, knowing each other, having some friendships. And, you know, the very first time we did one of these things, um, um, Alan and Shelly here, I mean, I've known, his, his name is Bear. It's actually Sugar Bear. Um, it's true. Uh, my grandma babysat him before I was born. So, um, but we went to a, the first advanced thing we went to together they met a couple, Kevin and Shannon Meesh, and they've become lifelong friends. And that's the kind of thing that should be happening, uh, is that kind of, so I wanna encourage you to do that. Also, you're gonna see what we just did again and again and again. We're gonna bring people up. You've never heard of them. You've never been there. You probably never go there. And we're gonna pray. And we all need to pray like we're praying for our own spot. Because you know what? When it comes to our turn, we're gonna be like, please bring down the heavens and come, Lord. It's like, we, we, we want people to pray like that for us. Let's pray like that for each other. Sound good? All right, so the theme, as PJ said, is leading in exile. And I just wanna take a little bit of time to talk about that. I also wanna say that, you know, the way we approach this theme stuff at, at Advance is not, 
you know, like don't, don't get like a stranglehold on the theme. And, you know, every session, well, I don't know, was that, was that exactly leading in exile or was that leading through exile? That, that's not really who we are. Um, but, but in general, we're trying to think of things that we think would be helpful to talk about as we um, love and lead people where we are and the churches where we are. So just want to talk a little bit about what this, this whole idea is and then just give us um, a, a passage of scripture that can be really helpful. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we are living in this kind of, you know, where we're living now, all these places that we're living in, it's not where we'll ultimately live one day. It's not, you know, it, 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 when the kingdom is, is fully consummated, when our good king comes back and he returns and he puts an end to all suffering and all sadness and all injustice and all pain and all sin, when he wipes every tear from his eye, from every eyes. You know, I, I'm, I'm a chaplain for our local fire and EMS um, for some of the towns around here. And I have an app on my phone and a pager and Today, I've missed some really sad calls. I missed an overdose call. Um, I just missed a cardiac arrest call. And the note just said, husband collapsed. You know, this stuff, I, I didn't know about all these things that happened in our little town until I started doing this and started realizing all the stuff that was happening. And, you know, God sees it all. He sees all of that. He sees all of that sadness and all of that pain and all of that sin and all of that suffering. And he has a plan to put it to an end. But right now, we're living in this kind of... In this in-between time, between the already and, and the not yet, we, we're in this season really of exile where we're kind of like wandering nomads. We're on pilgrimage to our homeland, right? Um, and and we, just, uh, we just preached through First Peter, interesting um, letter, and it, and it opens up, uh, Peter says, um, I write to you elect exiles. Um, it's an interesting phrase, uh, especially because it's likely that the, the folks that he was writing to were from they were from that place that, that they were living in. Um, and so that's just an interesting little deal there. They're, they're locals, but Peter writes to him and says, actually, you guys are like exiles. Um, you know, you're, 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 now, like, you're now people of the kingdom of God. And, and now that makes you a foreigner, even amongst the people where you've, you've grown up. Now, now you're one of those people. You talk funny. Where are you from? You know, you look funny. Where are you from? You sound funny. You you act funny. Where are you from? Like that, that sort of like thing that makes you stick out when you're a foreigner. Peter says, you guys are like that. And he's probably talking to people who are living where they've always lived. Um, you know, here, I'm from here, East North Carolina. I'm pretty proud of it. Got it all like tattooed all over me. Uh, took it too far, I'm sure. But um, I pride myself in being from here. I pride myself in being a local. And um, it's an insult if you're from here. And people don't know that, and they're from here. That's like a real insult. We had a moment like that last week. Um, I'd driven this truck down to um, deliver a bunch of supplies to get to Ocracoke for this hurricane, whatever. And we ended up on a crab boat the next day, and with this, this guy who's very, very, very local crab fisherman from Cedar Island, and um, he and I had never met each other. And we were having this very awkward conversation for about an hour until finally he came out and said, where are you from? Like while driving the crab boat. And I said, I'm from here. He's like, no, you're not. I was like, yes, I am. We're having this whole moment. I was like, what's going I was like being crushed on the inside. And it came down to the work truck I had borrowed had a Minnesota license plate on it. And so this guy's like, no, you're not from here. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna find out. He thought I was from Minnesota and I was pretending. And thankfully the truth came out and you know, he accepted me and all the rest. But the, the point is that, that you know, th there's a sense in which um, it can be insulting to, to be treated like an outsider when you are local and what Peter's doing here is not trying to insult them. He's just trying to help them come to terms with this new reality. And the reality is that you're now a foreigner. 
in this place that you've always lived. And, and, and so it's good to come to terms with that so you can live in light of that. So what does that have to do with us? Everything. Because whether we know it or not, we are in exile. Uh, it's something that a lot of us American Christians struggle with because we imagine that Jesus is our president and everything, you know, like we, we, we kind of have this false um, perception of our country. Uh, we say things all the time like we're a Christian nation. Um, and then we're surprised when no one seems to act like a Christian. Um, we put our confidence in things like the being a moral majority and, um, and more and more that's getting challenged and, and uh, you know, people are having to come to terms with the fact that we're actually a minority. We're not a majority and, and uh, we're here to live in a way that, that puts Jesus on display, but it's gonna be through things like mercy and love and kindness and other things that feel weak and impotent compared to what we'd like to do. Um, again and again, God speaks of his people as being a, like a remnant. We don't like that. That feels vulnerable. That feels weak. We want to be in charge. We want to be in control. But actually, we're a people in exile. And so the first challenge for many folks, especially folks in our churches, is just to accept that to be true, that we're in exile. We're not where we, where we one day will live. We're foreigners in the land that we're, that we're in. And you're like, I'm American. Yeah, me too. But, but that's... It's it, like our, our citizenship is now of heaven, something that's changed inside of us, right? So it's not a matter of whether we're in exile or not. The only option is what we're gonna do about it. Are we gonna embrace it and live differently or not? How should we act and, and live in this period of exile? And that's what this time together, the next couple of days is, is about to some degree. The content, we're gonna try to help us think through some of the challenging aspects of leading and living in exile so that we can do it better to the glory of God. I'm gonna read you a short passage that I know you've heard before that has been very helpful uh, for me in, in terms of this. And it's Jeremiah 29, verses four through seven. Starts off, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Okay, so God's like, I want you to remember who's talking. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. From Jerusalem to Babylon, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. And seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. You will find your welfare. There's a whole lot in these few verses that I think help us in a general way when we think about how to lead in exile and I just wanna pull a few of these things out. I think the first thing is that we are to see ourselves as sent into exile by God. God says, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I sent you into exile. Um, it's like that first Peter one, you're elect exiles. You're chosen by God to be in exile. That doesn't line up with a lot of our American theology because we are supposed to be chosen by God to be rich and have white teeth, and lives be great. Like, how, how is that possible that God's will for us involves something that's uncomfortable for us? God says, hey, hey, exiles, right here. I sent you in exile. This is a big step for us, but it's a necessary one. Uh, it's like in Acts 17, where, where the Bible says that God predetermined exact times and places. You know, we start to think about that, I mean, it's pretty mind, it's pretty mind-boggling that, that God would would, you know, the, the neighbor that you can't stand or the coworker that you can't stand or or whatever that that God decided that person was gonna live next door to you is kind of a crazy thing. 
and you, you spent all this time praying that your neighbor would get struck by lightning or something, and, and, and actually it's God. God's like, hey, 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 you down there, guess what? I, I put that person next door to you. I could have given you a different neighbor. This is the neighbor you got, right? And I wanted you to have that neighbor. It's, it's that kind of idea. When you start to wrap your arms around this reality, wrap your heart around this reality, you can start to get some faith for that situation that you're in because God who made everything, God who so loved you that he gave his only son for you, that God wants you and I where we are right now. For this season of our life, this is where God wants us. God sent us into this exile. Look, do I wish that we were living in a land where there wasn't so much confusion around sexuality and identity? Sure, I do. Do I wish that we weren't living in a land where little babies were so vulnerable? You bet I do. Do I wish we were living in a land where so many weren't held captive, held, held captive by addiction? Absolutely, I do. And on and on and on. I, I, wish, I wish that I didn't live in exile, but I do. And God saw fit to have all of us here right now. So what should we do about it? I think in this passage, we see three things. The first one is to commit yourself to the place that you've been sent. What is the um, classic American attitude towards uh, culture for so long here in America? I'll tell you what it is. Build a really nice train station and then spend your whole life debating when the train's going to get there. Build a really nice train station, spend a lot of money and energy on a building, and then just hang out inside the building fighting about when's, when are you finally going to get off this hellhole. But that's not what God tells his people in exile to do. He, he could have done that, but he didn't. He tells them to build a house. Imagine they could have said, well, God, it's just exile. Why don't we rent about a nice studio apartment, not too big of a commitment. Marry and have kids. Why don't we just date? Just a little social get together every now and again. Multiply and do not decrease. This is what God's saying is to commit themselves, to invest in an extremely permanent way. When you get to the point where you're building a house, that's a permanent thing. When you get married, that better be a permanent thing. These are permanent things that, that God tells them to do. You know, um, it's all kind of fun and games in the relationship until the guy gets on his knee and puts a ring out and like, oh my gosh, this is happening, right? It's a very permanent thing. And this is what God's saying to do. Commit yourself in a very permanent way to the place that I've sent you. We're, um, we've got four locations at One Harbor. We're in building projects for two of them. And it is a whole new feeling. It was one thing to flirt with the idea of doing ministry in other places. It's another thing to spend millions of dollars on it. That's a true statement. It, it, it's great when we're just like using a facility that's basically free. Hey, what do we got to lose? Uh, millions of dollars. Okay, okay. It's just a different, it's a different level, right? But you and I will not make the most out of our time in exile if we're not willing to commit dig our heels in and commit to the place that God has sent us. One foot in and one foot out won't work. And um, it's a challenge for us leading because we, we like to think that the grass is always greener somewhere else. And maybe it is, but this is where you're at right now. And maybe one day you'll be somewhere else, but right now this is where you are. And the right way to act is to 
commit. And let God be the one who picks you up and moves you, but dig in and commit. That's the first thing I think we see here. Um, the, the second thing I think we see is this idea of seeking the welfare of the city. I mean, if you know me, this kind of stuff is just, I mean, this is what kind of flows through my veins. Um, but I, I love this. This, this idea of, of seeking the welfare of the city, we don't live in passivity to the challenges and the culture around us, the pain and the suffering around us. We, we live with this ongoing, just dedicated sense of intentionality. I remember one time uh, speaking at a, a church conference thing for leaders and you know, I said, hey, is there any questions? And you know, I don't do that anymore because usually it's like a really bad question. This, this guy, poor guy, raised his hand in the back and said, hey, he said, um, you know, I don't, I don't really care if people in our town are going to hell. I mean, they know where we meet on Sundays. You know, if they want to come, they know where we meet, you know. Um, that is like the, the far opposite extreme of what we're talking about here. It's not what the verse says. It doesn't say, you know, pitch up, have a good Sunday meeting, and if, if they want you, they'll find you. It's not what it says. It says seek. Seek the welfare of the city. You seek the welfare of the city. You and I, reading this passage, it's on us to go seek the welfare of the city. Well, if the city wants us, they know where to come. No, it's our job to go seek the welfare of the city. The onus is not on them, it's on us. It's not on them to find us, it's on us to find them. We're to, we're to, we're to, seek, we're to seek it out. And that word seek, it is a couple of just great kind of definitions to this, but it, one of the things is it means to tread over repeatedly until you beat down a path. I don't know if you've ever tried to go walking in the woods, uh, probably worried you'd run into somebody who looks like me, um, but um, you know, that first time you, you go for a walk in the woods, it's weird, it's awkward, you're tripping over stuff, you know, you're walking around in circles, did we see that tree before, I don't know, and it's just, it's a, it's a bit of an intimidating situation, you know, um, but if you walk in the woods a lot and you walk down that path a lot, I mean, that, that same track, what happens? You, it begins to get clearer and clearer and clearer. In fact, you can see where other people have done that before you. Um, I think that's, that's, that's really a lot like what this is like. The first time that we step out and try to seek the welfare of the city, it's awkward, it's confusing, it's difficult. And all of us go, no thanks. That was weird. We tried, it didn't work, you know? But, but there's this sense in which we keep going back, we keep going back and we keep beating the same path and it, it, it starts to get a little easier. You start to get a feel for like how, how God wants to use you as a, as a person or, or you as a church to, to seek out the welfare of the city. The other aspect of this word seek is, is one of desperation. Has anyone here ever lost their wedding ring? Raise your hand. I'm glad other people are raising their hands. If you found your wedding ring, can you please put your hand back up? Did you find it? Man, God is really with us. Let me tell you a little family story. Um, we were on a much-needed vacation in Puerto Rico a few years ago, and it's like super cheap and it was great. And um, Jill and I had had this great little day at the beach, and um, we, we, you know, the beach was getting packed with all kinds of people, and so we piled in the car and we drove 25 minutes back to our little beach house. And as soon as we pull up, Jill gets this look on her face. And she has forgotten all of her rings on the sand at this beach. 
And it's not just like wedding ring and all that. It's like these other two rings with like sea glass that like is from like our, like our kids' birthstones. It's like really, you know, like special. And I, I'm in like a four-cylinder minivan. But I mean, I drove like I was in NASCAR. I mean, I think I ran over like 100 iguana or something. I was just like, I floored it back. I mean, I just knew for sure that they were going to be gone and just jumped in there. And, and someone was sitting in a lawn chair like over like the area where the rings were. I just jumped right over that person and pushed them out of the way and started digging in the sand. And I, I mean, lo and behold, I found these rings. And I, I mean, I felt like a champion, like, a, I mean, a full-blown just like, she owes me for a long time because of this, you know? Um, but I, I did that because like she means a lot to me and this means a lot to her and this means a lot to us. And there's this sense in which like that, that care drove me to a really desperate spot, to a really desperate place. And I think that we're to be seeking the welfare of the city, not in a passive way, like, nah, I mean, maybe. No, like we're to be seeking the welfare of the city for the people around us, like we're searching and seeking for something of great value to us. What I'm getting at is like, you're gonna be passive in this, this seek the welfare of the city thing will just be one of the things you do, one of the many things you do somewhere down the line on some list somewhere if you don't care. But when you care, it, it like it ramps the, the volume up on this thing. It turns the volume way up. I carry this place here in my heart because it's my, my town, but I've lived in other places and I tried to care for those places like, like I care for this place, you know, because that's somebody's town. Those hardships and the sadness and the sin all around us, when, when, when those people get into your heart, you start finding this compassion this desire to, to seek the welfare. When you care, you, you want to see the place change. And I would push on that and say, if you don't really care about the place changing, something's wrong in your heart. What does it look like to seek the welfare of the city? I mean, there's all kinds of things it looks like, and we'll talk about some of those things. We'll scratch the surface on some of those things, but I mean, a lot of it looks different, all kinds of different places, but I think it, like it really starts with this being present, having your eyes open. I mean, the Good Samaritan's a great example of this. I mean, the guy is just going for a walk as far as we know. Next thing you know, here gets swept up into this thing, and you know, I'll tell you a story about that here in just a minute, how that kind of stuff happens, but it's this, it's this, this um, belief that God has put us where he's put us to be a blessing. And it's on us to look for the ways to do it. It's not on the city or whatever to come to us. It's on us to go to them. It's on us to seek out the welfare of the city. Um, and then just the last thing that we see here is pray to the Lord on its behalf. So we wanna be churches that really commit to the places that we are. We dig in deep, we, you know, we, dig wells and we, you know, we build buildings and we, and we seek the welfare of the city, but that can't be it. We want to pray to the Lord on its behalf. Um, that is the weakest one for us at One Harbor. And I'm sure that we're totally alone in this and that all of you guys are totally amazing at prayer. Um, but I'll tell you, if our seek the welfare of the city arm is like Popeye, our pray to the Lord on its behalf arm is like olive oil. It feels that that different to me. I mean, I'm, I'm just pretty proud of the way that God has used us to seek the welfare of the city. 
And I'm just constantly dismayed at how pathetic we are sometimes when it comes to praying the Lord's behalf. And God is helping us and it's growing and, and you can pray for us in that. Um, but what's interesting is that, you know, when we planted One Harbor, when Jill and I did with, you know, no money, no people in a living room, we used a dog's toy basket as the uh, offering basket. We dumped this dog's toys. That was a toy poodle. That's how big the toy basket was. It was plenty big for the offering. And, um, you know, when we had nothing and knew nothing, we prayed a lot more. No buildings, no people, no staff, no money, no influence. Prayed a lot more because we didn't have anything else. And um, some of you guys are like, that's all we do. That's all we got is prayer. And that's, that season's a gift. Don't wish that away too fast. Because when you start to accumulate all that stuff, you can start to rely on all that stuff. The reality is we're just as hopeless as we've ever been when it comes to changing one single heart. We need Jesus as much as we ever have. All the stuff that's been added doesn't even come close to doing what prayer alone can do. The problems that we're facing in exile are impossible problems if God doesn't show up. And so we wanna be people who seek the welfare of the city, but man, we better be churches that pray to the Lord on his behalf. We wanna do all the things that we can do, but we wanna get on our knees and go, but God, only you do do what matters. When you show up, blind eyes are open and dead hearts come alive and sin gets brought into the light and healing comes and we want what you do. Sure, for some of you, um, maybe, it's, maybe this was like a whole little unsettling thing to even think about. And I don't know a lot of you, so if I make awkward eye contact with you, it can either be God or I'm weird, probably a combination of both. But um, maybe for you, like this concept of being in exile is like a little bit uncomfortable for you. Um, it would be for a lot of my friends and folks like my parents and all the rest. It would be, be unsettling for them to, to try to come to terms with that. Man, we, we're in exile. Ugh. Maybe you're, you're looking to the horizon. You're always thinking about greener grass somewhere else. You are reluctant to dig in and commit where you are. Maybe you're not seeking the welfare of the city. You've kind of taken a passive approach to that. Maybe you're knocking out of the park and all those things, but you haven't prayed in a long time. I want to just encourage us all to try to grow in all of these things. Um, we're in exile. This is where we are. And um, this is what it looks like to, to love, to live in the season that God has, has us in. I pray that God would help us with all those things.